We're going to be looking at a passage out of the book of 1 John, and we've been looking in this book for quite some time. It's in 1 John chapter 5. Um, if you don't know where that is, you can Google it. How about that? All right, y'all are awake. I'm just making sure. Um, you can look at that with us. And when John was writing this book, he wrote this letter to the church, and they were having a difficult time. And the reason they were having a difficult time is because there were a lot of people who were teaching a lot of different things. And they didn't know which thing to follow. They didn't know how to, how to pick these things out. And so John wrote this book to try to help them understand how and who they need to listen to. How they need to listen, meaning you know how to discern this, how to find out if God's in it and what's going on, and who they needed to listen to because some people were teaching different things and, and wrong things. But here's the thing where we come to today in, in 1 John chapter 5. Something that's very important to understand is we have to think about actually who John's writing the letter to. Um, you know how important it is, right, that you understand who you're talking to? Because I know that I, I have two kids, and if I need to communicate the same thing, but I have to communicate the same thing to both of them, I have to talk to each one of them a little bit differently because they comprehend it a little bit differently, right? Do you ever think about how often you do that? You just realize, okay, if, I, if I've got to talk to this person, I've got to change it like this, or if I've got to talk to this person, I can talk about these type of things. Or, you know, we understand our audience sometimes when we're talking. And so what's going to help us today is understanding the audience that John is talking to. And because John is talking to people who profess to have a faith in Jesus Christ. So John is writing this whole letter, and he's writing it to people who are saying that, I, I want to be walking with Jesus Christ, I want to follow him, and I want to find life. And so a lot of the things that he's writing in here, when he talks about God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, he's encouraging those who are walking with Christ to not continue to allow sin to be a part of their life. When he writes the things like God is love and that we demonstrate our love by obeying his commands, he's saying God first demonstrated his love, his love for us by laying his life down, and we're supposed to lay our life down and find life in doing so by obeying his commands. He tells us to love our neighbor because he's saying, if you are a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ and you're struggling with, is my faith really significant? Does it really matter for anything? Then what he tells people is, look at what you're doing. And he's talking to people who profess to have a faith in Jesus Christ because he says, if you look at what you're doing, how you're loving other people, there should be evidence in that that you're receiving God's love and therefore I'm able to give that love away to other people. Because on our own, we tend to be self-centered, self-focused people and it's by God changing our heart that we then find that we can find life in actually loving God with all of our heart and loving others as ourself. That's the life that he continues to talk about. But to understand all of this and what he's talking about as he gets to this point in the letter, he just reminds us again, but I'm writing this to people who are trying to do this. So he's not writing these words to people who are trying to figure out who God is. He's not writing these words to people who may not be sure who Jesus is or what's going on uh, as far as Christianity goes and religion. He's writing to people who are following him. And so in understanding that, as before we hop into this today, I feel like the most important question we can ask is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
And that's a question that you need to answer on your own. It's the most important question that all of us has to answer. Because when John's writing, he's saying, I'm writing to people who have already answered this question by saying that Jesus is Lord of my life and I am trying to follow him. So if I'm talking today and you haven't answered this question in your life, that's okay. There may be some things that we talk about and look at today that you go, I don't know that that makes any sense. I don't know what they're even talking about in that. And there would be a reason for that is because John didn't write these words for that purpose. And so if you haven't answered the question in your life that Jesus is Lord, then some of the things he's talking about today may sound like that's just weird, off-the-wall stuff. Why in the world is John talking about these type of things? But if you have answered that question who is Jesus, then why John is doing here, he's reminding us who Jesus is. He's reminding us that the place that we go for life is Jesus. The place that we go for love is Jesus. Where we find the answers to things that we're struggling with is Jesus. Because we do not follow a religion. We do not follow a set of circumstances. We do not follow a set of ideals. We have a relationship with a person of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we have to answer that on our own is because somebody else can't answer that for you. Do you know what? That's the issue, I think, in today's world. Think about this. Think about how much one-way communication we now have access to in today's world. And this is what I mean. You are now sitting here as an example for the most part of one-way communication. I I'm talking to you. If we all start talking back, it's going to be a long sermon. You know what I mean? And so we also do this with podcasts and with input, all these type of things that we put in our life. We, we, don't, we don't go back and forth. And that's a problem because here's the deal. Let's be honest. Shouldn't you ask yourself the question, what am I allowing into my life and my brain? Shouldn't you ask it of me? Yes, you should. Every one of us should be asking ourselves the question, Okay, I'm listening to this teaching, I'm hearing this thing, but is that, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Is that how I'm supposed to be following Jesus? Now, again, remember, John's writing to people who are trying to follow Jesus. So some people listening to this who say, I don't even know that I want to follow Jesus. You're not struggling with that at all. You're just going, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's okay. Hopefully you hear some of this and you, you realize that, wow, Jesus is somebody worth listening to and perhaps worth following with my life. But the issue, like I said, in today's world is we allow so much into our life that we don't get to dialogue about. Can I just take a moment? There's a reason you need to be in the Bible study group. There's a reason you need to be in small group and connecting. And it's, it's not just so that you can have people who know your name and can help care for you and your family. It's so that you can walk out of here on a Sunday and, and get with a group of people and go, I don't know that I followed everything that he was talking about. And, and I, don't, I don't know what to do with this. And you're all welcome to talk to me, but if y'all all start talking to me every week, I'm going to have a long list of things to communicate with every week. But that's why we have these Bible study groups, because we live this life together. And so John... What he does today in, in this passage is he says, look, all these issues that you're dealing with, all this stuff that's going on in the church, all these people who are teaching these things, all this stuff that's hard to discern and figure out, here's what you need to do. You need to learn to go to Jesus with this, and you need to compare all these things to the words of Jesus and to the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus is going to be the one that actually gives you the answer on these things as you decipher all of this stuff. Now, doesn't that sound like something we all need? 
because of the amount of information that's available to us, the amount of people who are teaching and saying things about God that are trying to tell us how we're supposed to live this stuff out, wouldn't it be good if we could figure out which ones we're supposed to listen to and which ones we're not? How we're supposed to discern these things? That's what John's talking about. He says, go to Jesus for this. This is what he says. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, this is what he said right at the start. He goes, if you're going to conquer the world, if you're going to figure out all of the complications of this world, the first thing that you're going to have to do is figure out that Jesus is the Son of God. And once you figure out that Jesus is the Son of God, then all the stuff that you deal with in this world has a totally different perspective than without Jesus as Lord. Verse 6, he says, Jesus Christ He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that just sounds like wacky talk, and I'll just go ahead and admit it. That's some of the stuff that people here who, who, who haven't been around church, who aren't familiar with church, who don't understand that, and people start talking like that, and they just go, what in the world? Water, blood, spirits, what? I don't get that. And that's okay if that's where you are today. And I say that hopefully to make you comfortable to go, it's okay if you don't understand all this. Verse 7, he says, there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony that he has given us about his son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And as I said, he wrote it to believers because he says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John's writing these things to say, I know that living in this world can get confusing. And sometimes we struggle with things and what to do and how to do. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. When we get it wrong, sometimes it causes us to stumble. It causes us to doubt. It causes us to think that we're just messed up. And John goes, no, no, no. You need to remember that it's Jesus where you have life. Jesus is the one that gives us life. You have life in him. And in him, I'm writing to you to remind you that if you've put your faith in him, that you've conquered the world, not only have you conquered the world, if your faith is in him, then you have eternal life. You can do this. You can make it. That's what he's saying over and over and over again. Now, what are these other things that he's talking about in here? John's actually given testimony for himself that he's seen evidence. He knows what he knows. And, and you too can say, I have evidence that Jesus is Lord. This is what's important for us. I have evidence that Jesus is Lord. This is what John is saying. That's when he writes these words, Jesus Christ, he's the one who came by water and by blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. 
For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. What was he talking about? He's saying there are three things that speak to who Jesus is, and and I can tell you about them. And they're evidence that God gave as Jesus was here on earth. And this is coming from John, one of the disciples who actually walked beside Jesus on this earth. He said, these three just testify that Jesus is who he says he is, that you can find life in him. And so he refers to these three witnesses. This is the first one. He talks about the water, which could also be talked about his baptism, his baptism. Now, again, anytime you get into something like this, you can find 70,000 interpretations of people who are teaching about, well, no, he means this, or no, he means this, or no, he means this. Well, look, in, in my opinion, and you're welcome to disagree. Talking about his baptism. And John's saying it's his baptism that we know because he didn't just come with physical birth. He too identified himself through baptism. The, the baptism of Jesus was such a significant event that it's one of a handful of things that are recorded in all four of the gospel writings. And so this is the account from the, the book of Matthew. It, it says, when Jesus was baptized... He went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's quite a baptism. How many of you have been baptized? Just raise your hand up real quick. I'm sure that did not happen at your baptism. I have had the privilege of doing hundreds of baptisms in my life. Not one has the spirit ascended like a dove and a voice come from heaven and says, you should listen to this guy. That's, that's not, it's not happened. And so John says, look, I want to remind you that whatever you're struggling with in life, you can count on Jesus. And the first testimony that I have is I was there at the baptism that he, he came by water, and it was different than everybody else. God Himself spoke and said, This is my son. So God gave testimony through the baptism of Jesus. And here's something else Jesus didn't need to be baptized. So why did He do that? Jesus did that to identify with us, Jesus did that to set an example that though I didn't have to do it, I want you to know that I love you so much that I want to set the example so that you can find life. And so Jesus humbled himself to baptism. John even argued with him about baptizing. I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. But Jesus said, no, this is it. And through that example that was set, John says he is given evidence that he is the son of God. And so he was baptized in part to identify with those people that he came to save. That's us. And so, let me just kind of do this side note. Jesus was willing to humble himself through baptism to identify with you. That baptism didn't save him. Neither does our baptism save anybody. But our baptism, when we get baptized, it's our way of saying, I have come to that place in my life that I have decided that I'm I'm going to give my all to Jesus And so we baptize for the sake of people being able to identify that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's so important to us that when people have 
a, a point in their life that they profess Jesus as Lord, we believe that you should follow that up with baptism so that you can identify yourself with Christ. And then I, here's, here's what I get sometimes from people. Well, yeah, that's just, that's just real personal. I, I don't know that I want to do that, and everybody doesn't need to get all in my business. Jesus set the example by not needing to do that for himself, but he needed to do it to demonstrate his love for others. So part of the reason we get baptized is not for you. It's so that others can see this example of I'm identifying with Christ. It's so that you can love others and you can allow them to love you as well. You see how sometimes we take things that God intends to be for his glory and his good and we make them about ourselves and then it loses its meaning. You don't get baptized for you. You get baptized for his glory and to identify yourself as a testimony to tell people I've made this decision and I'm going to follow Christ. And so in Jesus' baptism, which is different than any other baptism in the history of baptisms, God spoke and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. You want to listen to him. He set the example and he identified with us. And so we should also identify ourselves with him through baptism. If you're a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized, I just encourage you, just let me know. We can take care of that. We would love to be able to say, hey, I, I want to do that. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be baptized as well. The next thing that John refers to, and I'm just going to be honest with you, kind of the oddest and spookiest sounding one is you came by blood as well, okay? That just sounds all kind of odd at times. But what John is referring to is obviously when we, we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ was spilled for our sins, that, that Jesus Christ was crucified. He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the, broken, the brokenness of Jesus at that point. John's referring to the crucifixion. In Mark chapter 15, let's just look at something that happens around the crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, uh, it records this, that when the, cruci- when the centurion, the, the, the guy who was in charge of making sure this crucifixion went through, when the centurion who was standing opposite of him, opposite of Jesus, saw the way that he breathed his last, when he saw the way that Jesus died, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now think about that. What John says is another testimony is not just the baptism that was unique, it was the crucifixion that was unique. Because think about this, that centurion had been part of multiple crucifixions. He had seen many people die this very cruel death. And then at this point in time, after seeing that over and over, he looks at this one and he goes, this, this one's different. And because of the way that it happened, he, he declared this man was the son of God. Now what happened with that, you may not be familiar. I'll just tell you some of the things. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, God was at work. Some people say, how could God turn his back on Jesus and allow him to to die on the cross? But that's not it at all. The evidence of God at work was all over the crucifixion. There was darkness across the land from noon until three o'clock. God was at work. 
The, the curtain in the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. Well, what is that? Well, there was this curtain in the sanctuary that separated the Holy of Holies from the, the place that everybody could go. It was, it was there to represent that the presence of God resided here and only the, the sinless person, the person who'd been cleansed and ready and prepared to go, could go in once a year and offer the sacrifice for the sins of people. And it was, it was a very holy place. It was a very sacred place. And at this point in time, that curtain was split in two because God said, now you all have access. God was at work in the crucifixion. There was an earthquake that happened around this crucifixion. There were a number of Old Testament saints who rose from the dead and appeared to many as a first fruits of the resurrection. Now that's an interesting thing. That's different. So this, this man who had seen this happened over and over, this cruel way of being persecuted and of dying. Had seen this over and over, but in this particular instance, there was so much going, it was undeniable that the evidence that Jesus Christ was someone different was there, and it led him to declare this man was the Son of God. And you see, the cross was a brutal and horrific execution. And, and Jesus was, was killed. He died an undeserving death. His blood was spilled, which is why John says the testimony is, is the blood. And, and were it not for all these events surrounding it and God so evidently at work, then it's quite possible that today we would just be historically looking back and saying, well, that was unfortunate. A really good person died a really horrific death. But that's not it at all. John says the testimony is there in the crucifixion that Jesus is Lord. And, and we understand as, again, John's writing to people who are trying to follow Christ, we understand the significance of the blood of Jesus because it's the blood of Jesus that gives witness to the, that he has power to overcome the world. You see, because it's not just the crucifixion, it's the resurrection three days later where Jesus rises again and overcomes sin and overcomes death. And, and, and we refer to the cross, but it's really the power of the resurrection that, that we're referring to as a believer to say, remember that he poured out his blood, but then he didn't stay dead. He rose again and he overcame. And so when John writes that you can overcome the world, who conquers the world but the one who believes in the Son of God? He says, Jesus has already demonstrated victory over sin and death. What else can this world throw at him? Nothing that he can't overcome. And so you need to remember who Jesus is as you try to walk in this world. The third witness that John points out is the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that he talks about. And he says that these three testify, and it's the Spirit of God who will work in, in the hearts and in the lives of people to testify about who God is. And I can't, I can't help but think that John's probably remembering at this point in time words that Jesus said to him as he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he recorded these words in his gospel, John, in chapter 15. And Jesus was teaching his disciples and he said this, when the counselor comes, the counselor being the Holy Spirit, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, this is what he says, he will testify about me. Jesus is saying, look, you have my testimony in person right now, but when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to continue to testify about who I am. He is going to continue to show you 
who I am. He's going to continue to give you steps of truth to follow in life and let you know that I am Lord. And so the Holy Spirit is at work to lead you to truth. God is speaking to you. He's testifying about Jesus. He's also, if you'll notice the second part of the verse, he says to John, you also will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. He said, John, not only is the Holy Spirit going to testify, but you guys are also going to testify. And so John writes these words to the church later, and he says, we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit, and obviously he's testifying because he's writing the letter. He says, so I'm reminding you these things. He says that the Spirit's going to speak, but God also uses followers of Jesus Christ to testify about his glory and goodness. God is speaking through people as well that testify that God is who he says he is, that he has the power to do what he says that he's going to do, and that he is worth following because if you do, you will find life. You see, John continues to give ample evidence to the church that Jesus is Lord. But why is he doing that? Because he says, look, all of these things that you're trying to figure out, all of these things that you're trying to discern, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and figure them out. Go to Jesus first. Take the things that you find out there that people are saying or that are, are, are put out in front of you to figure out these steps for life and compare them to what Jesus says because Jesus will always lead you to life and truth. These other things may be leading you away. So John says, quit, quit trying to discern all these things on your own. Just take them to Jesus. You know, there's a really unique thing here of why John takes the time, I think, to give to give three witnesses. You know, he's also not only talking to people who are followers of Jesus Christ, but many of these people who have grown up in the, in the Jewish background and tradition, and, and they understand this one thing even that comes from their law. Found back in Deuteronomy, it's written this, that one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so John says, let me give them to you. Here's your witnesses. And so that's why John takes the time to, to walk us through that. And even though I understand that may be a passage or something that you go, I don't, I don't know how this all fits together. Ultimately, what John is saying is, go to Jesus with these things because he's already proven to you so many times over that he is who he said he is. He is Lord and he is worth following. But beyond these things, John also points this out, that my life, and your life testifies that Jesus is Lord because he's talking to followers of Christ. He says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. You see, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ will testify to the life that he gives. That's why, that's why John over and over in his book says, if you're struggling with your faith, just look at what you're doing and what you're choosing to follow because a follower of Jesus Christ will see that God is at work in their life. They'll see change that's happening in their heart. They'll see the things that are happening in their mind and, and the way that they're living this out. And if you look at what God is doing, you'll see that God is who he says he is. You can see that even in how he's working in your own heart and life.
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. What evidence is there that a life lived for Jesus can make an impact in everybody else? You have to answer that question for yourself. You see, because this is what I believe. I believe this is what John's been saying. He says, church, I'm sorry you're struggling. I'm sorry it's confusing. But you really need to go back down to what you say you believe. You believe in Jesus. So go to Jesus. And then if you continue to struggle with things, and then look at your heart and your life and understand this. And this is the way I put it. When the love of God invades my heart, when God takes over in my heart, I find life in loving him and loving others. Not figuring out all the answers, not knowing the perfect way, but I find life in loving God and loving others. You see, when God truly invades your heart, when you truly say, I want to follow Jesus Christ, then you begin to find life in loving him, but not only in loving him, but you do that in loving others as well. That's the evidence that God is at work that things slowly turn from becoming about you to becoming about him. And when they become about him, it can't help but be that it also becomes about loving others as well. That's what John is saying. There's your evidence. It goes right back to what Jesus said. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That's why John kind of sums it all up by saying, I wrote all these things to you who believe in the Son of God, but that you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that. So we'll just end with this question for you. Do I know Jesus? That's the question. Do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus or do I know somebody's idea of Jesus? Do I know Jesus or do I know some concept of Jesus? Do I know Jesus or do I know what somebody taught me about Jesus? Because those are two different things. Because God says you can know him. Would you bow your heads with me today?